I know many of you have heard about the five love languages. These are ways that either you can receive or you give love, right? These five ways, they're words of affirmation, maybe acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and of course, physical touch. Well, my wife and I have what appears to be a sixth love language. And, and rather me trying to say in words what that sixth love language is, I will just tell you a story, a typical story in our marriage. So early on when we met each other, we had a difference of opinion on what is the best donut. And this is, this is when Krispy Kreme had a location on Jefferson Road. And I used to love going to Krispy Kreme. You go in there, you get that free donut, it rolls off the line, it just absolutely melts in your mouth. And Julie, on the other hand, loved Dunkin' Donuts. She's like, no, Krispy Kreme, when you have a Dunkin' Donuts and you eat it, that's a meal. It feels like it's something worth putting in your mouth. Krispy Kreme, too light, too fluffy. And so we have this ongoing battle about which donut is the best. And one day, we have a difference of opinion about something. I can't even remember what it was. And I say to Julie, you know what, rather than argue, I'll bet you a donut. If I'm right, you're going to have to buy me a Krispy Kreme donut. If you're right, I'll buy you a Dunkin' Donuts. So we said, deal. Okay, we, li we lay the matter to rest. And time goes on. Well, it turns out she was right. So in humility, I went, bought her her Dunkin' Donuts, and delivered it to her. And she reaches in, of course. I give her her chocolate donut, which she really loves. And she starts biting and eating away, and she's just making me have it, right? And then I take out a small piece, and I start eating. And then I kind of have a change of heart. I say, you know what? This is not bad after all. Maybe I should be more open-minded. And she's like, yeah, finally, now, now you're getting it. And so I see some, you know, chocolate on her cheek. And so I reach into the bag, take out a napkin, and say, here you go, wipe yourself up. Yes. I had bought a Krispy Kreme donut, packaged it nicely in the Dunkin' Donuts bag, and given it to her. And we have many stories like this in our marriage. And for us... This is a way that we show that we know each other and we love each other. It is our sixth love language. Now, we all have this desire to be deeply known and deeply loved. And we call this intimacy. We were all created for intimacy. And unfortunately, the world has deprived us of this intimacy in our fallen world. And the world deprives us of this intimacy in primarily two ways. It either denies us or it distorts this intimacy. What do I mean by deprived? We're deprived through broken relationships. Maybe that's a broken relationship with a spouse. Maybe with a child. Maybe with your parent. Maybe that's grandparents. Maybe we've made mistakes. Someone else has made mistakes. Maybe we've taken others for granted. We've broken trust. And so we've broken that relationship, or that relationship has been broken for us. And we've been deprived of that intimacy. 
The second way, we've all experienced it, COVID. We have lived in isolation off and on for two years, two and a half years. We have missed birthdays and graduations and retirements. And we were not made to live in isolation. As the Greek philosopher Aristotle says, we are social animals. All of us have been deprived of this intimacy. And the second way we are deprived is that the world distorts intimacy. We go online and we see everybody's highlight reels. And we think that this is real life, that everybody else is doing amazingly well. And I'll tell you, I don't post any of my kids crying online. <laughs> They don't see when we're on a road trip that we've gone in a rest stop and left somebody's sandals in the gas station. You don't see any of those mistakes. You only see the good stuff. And what am I chasing? What are you chasing? We're chasing fame, whether we know it or not. We want to chase what we see, influencers. We're chasing fame. But here's the myth. The myth is that being famous and being known are the same thing. It's not. It's not the same thing. John Mark Comer, pastor and author, has this great saying and great advice for the church. Here it is. If the church came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. We're here to talk this morning about a better way. There is a better way for intimacy. And to find that out, we're going to start very, from the very first beginning, from the first human relationship. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 to 25. This is the account of Adam and Eve. Follow as I read. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave all names to the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now my bones, bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now, this account of the first human relationship is significant in a number of ways. First of all, it is the only ancient account of the creation of woman. There's no other Near Eastern account where the creation of woman is detailed. This is a big deal. Second is that Genesis dedicates 
one verse to the creation of man, and how many to the creation of woman? Six or seven. Verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And the first thing we learn here is, whose idea is it? Is Adam lonely? And Adam says, I need company. I'm in isolation. No, it is God that recognizes Adam's isolation and says, it is not good for man to be alone. God knows and sees Adam's need. He replaces Adam's isolation with companionship. It is God. Verse 18, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And when we hear the word helper, we often think weak and strong in our modern context. But this is not the case in this passage. It's not a matter of weak versus strong. That word helper is mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament. And 16 of those times that word is used to refer to who? God. 16 out of the 19 times the word help or helper in this Old Testament is used to refer to God. Psalm 33 says this, 33:20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 70 verse 5, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. So this is the nature of the relationship that God has set up for Adam. Another observation. So woman comes from man. They start off as one flesh. They become two. And in the act of marriage, what happens? This is why a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. God creates man and woman, and then he puts them back together again in the act of marriage. And then verse 25, Adam and he and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And this is a verse that talks not only about physical, but psychological state. For them, there was complete transparency and honesty and openness. And this is the way that God created intimacy for man and woman. It is God that sees Adam's need. And here is the truth. You should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that in God you have all you need. You should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that in God you have all you need. Because God is the architect of this intimacy, not Adam, not Eve. It is God who sees it. You know, my freshman year, when I came to college in RIT to Rochester, up until that point, I had been single. And in my teens, I got some really good advice. You know, some, uh, a mentor of mine, a spiritual father, said to me, you know, Sherwin, more than likely your wife, if you're going to get married, is alive on this earth. You should start praying for her. And I remember that. And so in my teen years, I started praying for my wife. And it was simple prayers. God, I don't know where she is, what she does, what her family situation is, but bless her. 
You know, all these types of prayers that I prayed for her. And so by the time I got to my freshman year, I had been praying for years. And like most people, I thought, you know what? College is probably the place I'm going to meet my future wife. But I was patient. So I said, God, I'm going to wait on you. You're going to provide. You're the one that knows what's best for me. So I waited my freshman year, and there was no one. I waited through my sophomore year, end of my sophomore year, nobody. I get to my third year, the end of my third year, and I'm an engineering intern drilling for oil in Texas in the middle of the desert by myself. And intimate moments with God happens in the desert when you're alone. And I reach a breaking point, and I was candid with God, and I just let him have it, and he let me do it. And at the end of that conversation with God, I make a plea, and I ask God, and I said, God, by the end of next year, I would love for my wife, my future wife, to be in my life. I don't need to be dating. I don't even need to know that she's in my life. But I would love by this time next year for my future wife to be in my life. And God heard my prayer. And in the fall, Julie Kramer transferred from Purdue University to RIT, and we met. And it is truly God that knew my needs and answered my prayers. But the story of intimacy doesn't end there. The relationship between a man and a woman is not the only conduit, not the only type of intimacy that we need to know and experience. So I want to share a story in the book of John, verse 11, of Jesus and intimacy between him and two groups. The first group is Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And the second group is the crowds that followed him everywhere that saw the miracles. So let's start out. John 11, 1 to 7 says this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Martha, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha, Mary, Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. You know, and this reveals a bit about Jesus' relationship with these three. First, it mentions that Jesus loves the one who is sick. Now, this is interesting because this is the book of John. And in the book of John, the only other person that is described as the person who Jesus loves is John himself, the author. So for Lazarus to be placed in this category shows that he is in a really special place. And so they come and they tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And what does Jesus do? He stays where he's at, doing the work he's doing for two more days. And you might be mistaken because you're thinking, wait, Jesus loves him, but he waits two more days, and Jesus has power. Imagine if you come to me and you say, Sherwin, your car is being stolen in the parking lot right now, 
and I just continue to chit-chat and drink coffee, what would you think? You would think, this guy doesn't care about his car. And you would be right. <laughs> if you steal my car, you need counseling. <laughs> but Jesus actually loved Lazarus. And so the two verses coupled together is Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And he stays two more days. Why did Jesus stay? The passage doesn't exactly say that. But here's my best guess. At this time, many rabbis thought that the spirit of somebody lingered for three days. And then after the third day, on the fourth day, that spirit is gone. And that person is truly dead. And my guess is Jesus wanted us to be absolutely sure that Lazarus is dead. Because as we see in the next part of the passage, Jesus shows up. So John 11, 20 to 27 Jesus now meets Martha. And of the two, Martha and Mary, Martha is the pragmatic one. She's the one that gets stuff done. She has the schedule. She has the to-do list. So here we go. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And listen to this next statement. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. What does that say about Martha? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replies, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And in that last statement, Martha tells you that she believes that Jesus is not only the Messiah, a physical Savior, who Jews thought was more than likely a political or a military leader or hero. But she adds on to that, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And she tells you that she knows who Jesus actually is. And she believes who he is. And in the next part of the story, we meet Mary. And Mary was probably a little bit more emotionally driven and relationship-oriented. Verse 32 says this, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? What's interesting about Mary is that Mary shows up three times in the New Testament. And every time she shows up, we find her at the same place at the feet 
of Jesus. When Jesus shows up at the house and Martha's in the kitchen preparing, where do we find Mary? At his feet. Later on, we find her pouring perfume. Where? At his feet. She runs out to meet Jesus in this passage. Where do we meet her? At his feet. Mary knows how to surrender. And that is how she shows Jesus that she knows who he is. She knows how to surrender. And when Jesus sees her weeping and the others weeping, he also weeps. And so Martha acknowledges Jesus' deity and Jesus acknowledges his humanity by weeping. This is an intimate exchange. Mary and Martha know Jesus deeply, and he knows them deeply as well. And look at the last verse. This is the contrast between the crowds and Mary and Martha. Look at what they say. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? The crowds are there largely for a show. They have been with him off and on, in and out, and they still do not know who he is. And what the crowds teach us is a myth that we all follow. And here's the myth, that proximity leads to intimacy. Proximity leads to intimacy. And we know that's not true. Many of us has, have been in crowds and crowds and rooms of rooms and felt lonely. Proximity does not lead to intimacy. I'm going to put a picture on the screen. I would love to know how many of us know who this is. So raise your hand if you know who this is. Not bad. A little bit more than first service. If you don't know who this is, you need to start watching The Crown because this is Queen Elizabeth of England. And she tells this funny story of her summers. One summer, she's in her Scottish estate. And in the summers, she tends to dress down and relaxes. And she's in her castle walking her dogs on the grounds. And there's tons of tourists around. And she has just one lowly police officer you know, kind of in the distance trying to give her some space. She's walking her, her dogs, and a group of tourists come up and say to her, have you ever met the Queen of England? <laughs> and she quickly says, no, I've never met her, but this guy has many times, pointing to her police officer, right? Being famous and being known is absolutely not the same mistake, and same thing. And, and we laugh at the tourists, but we do the same thing with God. We go through the motions. We come to church. We do things, and we can be mistaken that we actually know God, and we don't. But the truth is that we need to be more fascinated by the person of the Christian life than the practices of the Christian life. We need to be more fascinated by the 
person of the Christian life than the practices of the Christian life. In no other time, in no other age, are there more Bible translations available to us. More commentaries than you can imagine. You don't even have to buy one. You can download them for free. And we can be mistaken that we know God by knowing the things of God, the practices of God. But that is not the case. We need to be like Mary, surrendered at his feet if we want to know him. We need to be like Martha, acknowledging who he really is, his deity, his humanity, to know God and to be loved. And so I want to leave us with some practical advice. And the first group I want to talk to here is is married people. If you're married, if you're like me, and you're juggling work, and kids, and a mortgage, and sports games, life gets busy. And sometimes we can put other things in place of our relationship that truly matters. We put kids, we put work, we put lots of things in place. And the best advice I can give you is the advice you get on a plane. In the event of an emergency, oxygen masks will come down, and the first thing you need to do is put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on a child or anybody else that's traveling with you. Invest in your marriage. Invest in your marriage. One piece of homework I'll give you if you're married and you're in the crowd here listening to me or you're online. Interview a couple that you admire, somebody whose marriage you admire, and talk to them. Ask them what makes their marriage last, what's great about their marriage. Learn from them. Interview somebody that you admire, a couple that you really admire. So that's the first group, married, married folks. If you have kids, like my stage of life, be intentional with your kids. Be intentional and intimate with the moments you have with them. I went through a stage of life where I was working corporate America, and I was traveling, and everything I needed to do was on my phone, on my calendar, and my kids got the leftovers until finally one day I said, my kids are not going to get the leftovers. I'm going to schedule time with them. So every month on their birthdays, I have a date with each of my three kids. And it's intentional. If I miss it, I make it up the next day. But I try to keep those days clear. So with my six-year-old, we go out every month and we have hot dogs. And my conversation with him is intentional. My conversation with him is, what does it mean to be a good friend? Does a good friend share? Does a good friend grab and take things? Does a good friend punch other people back when they say something mean? Hypothetically speaking, of course. (laughs) But I have that conversation with my son. With my nine-year-old, my conversation with him every month over hot dogs as well is what does it mean to be a man, a godly man? Because the world tells him what it means to be a man, and I don't want him to take that in. I want to tell him and teach him what that means. So I have that conversation with him every month. It's intentional. With my 11-year-old daughter, we talk about dating and marriage and what husbands do and what wives do And how dating leads to marriage. And my conversation is intentional because I do not want my kids to get simple answers that they will grow out of. 
I want them to get profound truth, biblical truth, that they will grow into. So if you have kids, be intentional. Be intimate with them. And next crowd, so younger crowd, teens, college kids, any, anybody here in the room? Yeah, I see a bunch here. Let me give you one piece of advice many of us learn the hard way. Boyfriends and girlfriends come and go. <laughs> but family, your family will not come and go. Boyfriends and girlfriends come and go, but family doesn't. And so cherish your parents. Go fishing with your uncle. Go to a game. Hang out with your aunt. Write down her favorite recipe. If you're in college, call your mom. You need to call your mom. She needs you to call her. If you, if you have grandparents, interview your grandparents. Julie, my wife, took a video of her grandparents and asked them how they met, why they met. They had been together for over 40 years, and we have that video of them sharing what made their marriage so special and how they met. So cherish your family. Spend time with them. And the last group as we close, I think everybody falls into this category, and I call them the undeserving. If you, like me, fall into the trap of believing sometimes you do not deserve to be loved, you deserve, you do not deserve to be known, and you feel you are undeserving. I have an application for you. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, makes this statement. There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way that I so often disillusion about myself and quench his determination to bless me. If you feel that you are undeserving because of something that you have done, you need to know that that is not true, that God deeply loves you, that God deeply knows you, and his desire for you is true intimacy. And so as we close, I want to pray and I want you to reflect. I'm going to read the first few verses of Psalm 139 and I want you to just soak it in. I want you to hear what God says about you and what he feels about you. So will you pray with me? Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know where I sit and where I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Lord Jesus, we come before you. People who are often broken. We have swallowed the myths about intimacy, about being loved, and about being known. And we come to you, Lord, with broken hearts and broken lives. From relationships, Lord, 
from COVID, from mistakes that we have made. And we know, Lord, that you can heal us, that you know us and care about us deeply. And so I pray, Lord, for every relationship that's represented in this room and those watching online, every marriage, every parent-child relationship, every grandparent, every friendship that has been lost or broken. And I pray, Lord, as you have resurrected life, the life of Lazarus, you can resurrect broken relationships. So I pray, Lord, for healing and for intimacy in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would know that you are the source and the architect of true intimacy. And us chasing something that is false, that's something that a lie, will be shallow, Lord, and meaningless. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love and for your care for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before you leave, I just want to leave you with one reminder. Next week, we're going to have a brief congregational meeting. We're going to be going through a few. We're just going to be handing out and giving you uh, an idea of some changes that are coming on with the bylaws. So all you have to do is just show up. So thank you. Have a great Sunday.